Welcome to Reframed, a podcast created to educate, encourage, and inspire parents and professionals. The research is clear. Parenting a child that has a history of loss, abuse, neglect, or trauma requires parenting skills and insight to be reframed. We partner with child welfare experts to bring you evidence-based and research-driven information. Guests strive to make an impact on our world by creating conversations about topics that are important to you, your family, and our communities. One really wonderful resource that I'm aware of is a book by a woman who already transracially adopted named Rachel Garlinghouse. She wrote a book called Come Rain or Come Shine. It uh, it may not be currently available. The last time I checked, it was out of print, but you may be able to find some previously owned versions of it on like eBay or Etsy or some other place. And it is a really wonderful tome where she talks about her experiences as a white parent of now four Black children. And she talks about all the ways in which she made changes to her life. She got a mentor for her children that was of a similar background. She talks about the ways that she's incorporated art and cultural touchstones and enhanced their connection to their heritage. She talks about the ways in which she's had to engage with their biological relatives because they have open adoptions and the ways in which she's had to humble herself and be really open to those changes. So I I definitely recommend that particular book as one where someone has already talked about the step-by-step process that they went through with four open transracial adoptions. It's one thing to say, I believe that I can open myself up to this. It's another to do that work move uh, ahead of time so that you already have the foundation laid out, making sure that you have connections to whether it's your religious institution, that you are doing outreach there, whether it's your social groups, your social network, looking at your circle, your immediate inner circle, and then your larger circle. So whether that's your, your immediate family, your larger extended relatives, Uh, the neighborhood that you live in, again, like I said, your religious connections and any groups that you are in, looking at what those look like and seeing where you already have those connections and expanding on that, increasing that in any way possible. That's one of the best things that you can do. The people that you are already connected to, reaching out to them and asking them, what would it be like if you were to be adopted transracially? What are the things that you would want your parents of a different race to know as they were raising you. I I think that would be a really great start. I would say the biggest thing that we know that now adult adoptees who have been transracially adopted have stated as the biggest concern that they had was that they did not feel heard. They did not feel seen when it came to their race. They could maybe feel heard and seen in other ways by their parents, but when it came to them either acknowledging that they needed space to express their connections to their heritage or whether it was saying, hey, someone was um, inappropriate with me. Someone either said something that felt prejudiced or bigoted or racist and having their parents either dismiss or deny that experience has been one of the most traumatizing things. So I would say parents acknowledging that it's not about you if this child says that someone did something inappropriate or they haven't felt that connection to their past, that you can be open to that 
and rectify that if only just by validating their experiences, if only by saying, hey, I see you, I hear you, I am going to be your staunchest advocate. I find that one of the things that parents do inadvertently is default to the belief that if their child is not bringing it up, then their child is not thinking about it. I don't have any thoughts about this. I'm not concerned about this, whether it's any sensitive topic whether it's you know race, whether it's adoption, whether it's sex and sexuality, they assume that if the child is not bringing it up, it must mean that they're not concerned about it. They have nothing to share with their parent. So one of the best things that parents can do is just sort of casually say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this. I have some thoughts about it and I would love to hear what your thoughts are. Make it really open, make it non-judgmental and allow the child to fill in the space with what their feelings and thoughts are. Any opportunity where you're hearing something on the radio, you're, you come across an article about something, you hear a, an item on the news, whatever it is that may be sparking your thoughts about, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. That is a perfect opportunity to talk to your child and say, you know, I have these thoughts and I actually have questions about these things too. And I'm wondering if you have questions. I, I think that when we make it open and non-judgmental, children are much more likely to share with us what their thoughts are. Primarily what I would say is that I want to make sure that parents know that whatever ways that their children are trying to connect to or explore their understanding of their cultural heritage, that it is not a rejection of the adoptive family. I think what can easily come up is the belief that, well, they don't feel connected to us and our family culture. And that is not what happens. What happens is they're growing up and they're recognizing that, okay, I am a part of this family's culture, but there's also this different larger culture that I feel connected to, but I haven't been raised with. And I want to try to connect to that and understand what that will feel like and what that can mean for me. And so the primary thing that I would say is that the parents should not only foster that because it's beneficial for the child, but they should recognize that when they when they allow the child that space to reconnect to it, it can actually grow their connection to their child because they're feeling like you see me, you understand me, and you appreciate how important this is for me. Uh, I would say that, you know, whatever your social uh, values are for your family, then make sure that that person shares in those values. Otherwise, you know, you'll, you'll have a natural clash, whether it's, you know, same perspectives about parenting and child rearing, same perspectives about, uh, again, religion or, you know, education, those sorts of things would be sort of your baseline. And then moving forward from that, uh, because again, otherwise you'll have all these separate clashes that have nothing to do with race and culture. I would say, honestly, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I would give is something that may seem uh, counterintuitive. I would strongly advise them to find a space that is predominantly Black and visit that space and just experience what it's like to be the minority. Just experience what it, and not necessarily predominantly Black, obviously, maybe if they're seeking to adopt a child that is of a Hispanic background or an Asian background, it would be more beneficial for them to go to those places. But, you know, and and honestly, that's a tricky thing to do. I want to be clear that I know that what I'm asking is saying, hey, insert yourself into a space where you are not naturally. But I think that that experience of that, that lived experience really gives you so much knowledge about what it may feel like for your child on any given day. 
And, and I do think that there is a lot that can be learned in that situation. A lot of our understanding about how um, adoptions occur stems from a group of laws that came out around, I, I believe the 1990s. I think it was around the time of Bill Clinton's uh, presidency. And one of the laws in particular is called MEPA. So it's the Multi-Ethnic Placement Act. And it decided that race could not be, and this is an understandable thing that can, can rub up against people in a different way, but essentially it states that race cannot be a barrier for placing children from foster care into uh, adoptive homes. So this broadly speaking is a good thing. Obviously, if you have a family that has the ability to uh, care for a child of a different race, and the only thing that is hindering you is that that family is of a different race, you would not want that to be the final note and that that child not have permanency, of course. But what happened was the Association for Black Social Workers came out against it because there was concerns that there were a bunch of white parents that were ill-equipped to parent these children of color. And, and so there is just this sort of fraught uh, dichotomy between people that, you know, work in child welfare, want to make sure that children have permanency, long-term holes, but, but also want to make sure that children's cultural identities are being recognized, valued, and uh, acknowledged. And that's not always the case. And so it's it's just fraught, I would say. It's it's tricky stuff. I don't think there is one clear perspective that you will get from any community of color, whether it's Black or Hispanic or other. But I do think that there is some discord in there because of, unfortunately, some parents who were not acknowledging uh, their children as being of a different race. They wanted to, in some ways, either pretend that race didn't exist. It didn't. They had, you know, the, the colorblind mentality or um, minimize any ways in which their child tried to express it for themselves. And, and so I think that anybody who cares about children and cares about children being seen would not want that to be the case. I recall when I did my training for the parents that are looking to adopt children from foster care, and there was a family that we were talking about some of the challenges, you know, that come with these children that are in foster care because of abuse or neglect. So obviously they're going to have the residual effects of that. And we wanted to make sure that these parents had a full understanding about what it would mean for these children transitioning into their homes. And so we were sharing some of the things that we typically see, some of the anger and aggression, some of the, you know, frankly, uh, disconnect with the idea of even wanting to be adopted. And um, I've had parents say things like, well, aren't they grateful? Aren't they grateful? Like we have a lovely home. We have a nice home. We're going to take care of them. And I just thought, oh, we are really out of the, coming from left field. If you're yeah. thinking that any child, <laughs> whether they're adopted or not, should even have a perspective of gratefulness, you know, and that is a clear sign to me that you are not getting into this for the right reason. You are getting into this because you want the child to feed your ego, to come to you with gratitude, to come to you feeling as though essentially they are a charity case and that they are being taken care of as charity. And anybody that has children knows that one, children are not terribly great at gratitude, no. <laughs> for better or for worse, <laughs> but also that children should not feel indebted 
to mm-hmm. their parents. The parental child relationship is not about in-depthness. It's about love and nurturance and support. And typically, luckily, <laughs> we can weed that out and you know note what's happening as they move forward in the process. Typically, in my experience at least, for the most part, children don't specifically request race. They usually are just saying, I want a family that will take me to do things. They, uh, I want a family that has a dog, you know, these sorts of things. White parents are the ones that are more likely to seek adoption, at least through the means that we are used for formal legalized uh, adoption. But there is also this other uh, cultural aspect where Informal adoption happens a lot in the Black community where you might have a child that um, their mom is struggling for whatever reason, you know, financially, emotionally, et cetera. But as far as, you know, what we typically know to be legalized adoption, it's mostly white parents and there's a lot of children of color. So it just ends up happening that way just because those are who are available, white parents, children of color. That's one part. The second part of what happens is there are some kids of color who specifically request uh, white parents or at least children that aren't, or parents that aren't their race. And what that looks like is that child is experiencing some sort of what we call internalized racism. So that child has grown up in a, a world, a society, or maybe a specific family that had negative views about whether it's black people, Hispanic people, et cetera. And they have internalized those views. And again, a lot of kids for for the children who are in foster care may have experienced harm at the hands of people that look like them. And so in a child's mind, they may think, well, I can escape the harm that I experience by having parents of a different race. Now, we know that's not true. But again, that's sometimes the way that children can try to make sense of things that are hurtful and harmful to them. And so what I have worked on doing is trying to educate my colleagues about what internalized racism looks like in the adoptive setting and how they can continue to engage their the, the children and the families about what to look for, what are the things that children are saying, and what are the things that you can say when they say these concerning things. Because what I've found is that a lot of my colleagues will hear a child say, well, I want a white family and understandably feel like, well, I don't, I don't want to challenge that. So I'm just going to find you a white family. What does that mean for you? Why would you prefer that versus the other? Let's kind of help to understand where your thinking is coming from, because I think we can find you the right home that doesn't necessarily have to look different than you. Thanks for listening to Reframed. Visit gladneyuniversity.org to access the show notes and learn about upcoming trainings at Gladney University. We'd love your feedback, so please rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.